Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. All right. Really, since I've been following Christ, it's half my life now. I was 18 years old when I became a Christian and uh, started following Jesus. And since that point, I've had some big decisions in my life to make. Like, for example, uh, where should I go to college? I had a couple options when I was 18. Um, had made a decision, but um, afterwards decided there was something better for me at Ohio University, and so made that decision. I had to make the decision um, while I was in school, should I preach every weekend? There was a smaller congregation, but a really healthy congregation in Athens, and one of the things I could do while I was living in Athens was go every weekend to a country congregation and preach for them. And I had to really think through, is that what the Lord wants me to do right now, or does he want me to be contributing to a local church? I had to ask the question, God, who should I marry? Single guy for a few years down in Athens, who should I marry? Then I had to ask, should I ask Lisa out? And for those of you that don't know that story, I was violating some bro code rules when that happened. Might have been, you know, roommates and best friends with her brother, but we'll, you can ask about that story later. Eventually I did, and then we got married, and then we, Lisa and I asked, like, where should we live after college? When we finished in Athens, we had the opportunity to go to Rock Hill, South Carolina, or Pickerington, Ohio. Two really good ministry opportunities, and we didn't know. And we just prayed and asked God to help us, guide us. We, we moved here. After a few years, we asked, should we keep renting or should we buy this house? And we wanted to know God's will on that. I had asked the question in 2008, should I step away from ministry for a while? And in 2011, should I return to ministry? We asked this question. Where were you all in this wisdom, right? Should we have a third child? <laughs> I believe God answered that prayer, right? Yeah, we asked a lot of these questions, and th these are my questions, okay? Um, had a lot of things on our mind, and there are two things in common with this list up here. The first one is this. All of these things, and many others, I have asked to know God's will for the answer for these things. I've asked God, God, will you show me and Lisa what your will is for these things right here? The second thing that this list has in common is that none of the answers to these questions are in the pages of scripture there's no place in the bible there's no book chapter verse for me to find out if i should marry lisa blaney or if i should go into ministry or if we should have a third child there's no answer in these texts that tells me exactly what we should do and so the question becomes how can i know god's will for my life of course, we see the revealed will of God in Scripture, and we can know explicitly what He expects out of people and their character and their conduct. But what about the big questions, like these things about that have to do with our life and how we live? How can we know God's will? You know, this question, how can I know God's will for my life, has really exploded in about the last 50 years in American culture. It's interesting, if you go back and look at some of the church fathers like Augustine or Tertullian or you read some of the Middle Ages theologians you don't read a lot about them teaching for people to discern the specific will of God for their individual life very much 
But really, over the past 50 or 60 years in American culture, this question of what is God's will for my life at every turn, at every uh, year, at every season, has really exploded. And I think it's because we live in a very radically individualized culture. We're very, very concerned with individual lives, ours, mostly. When we have put a lot of pressure on ourselves we believe that we have a hundred percent focus not just on our life but we also have a hundred percent of the pressure to create our own future we're sort of like marty mcfly's disciples when he said your future is whatever you make it so make it a good one right that's back to the future for those of you who don't know that and in our radically individualized autonomous culture we have come to believe that we bear 100% responsibility to, to control every outcome of what our future is. And so, naturally, for Bible-believing Christians, this question has come up to say, okay, if, I am, if every decision I make is going to determine my future, I want to know what God's will is for like all of these questions you see on the screen. And it's a good question. The Bible does speak about it. But before we start, I just want to caution you with this one thing. That knowing God's will can become an idol when you want to know his will and you don't really want to know him. When you use knowing God's will as a release valve for the pressure you feel in life, or you use knowing God's will for a way to say, here's my plans, God, can you just make sure they happen? Or when you use knowing God's will as just an escape route from the fears that you have, but you don't really want to know God, when what you want is a map, but not a guide. God's will becomes an idol, okay? The Bible talks a lot about God guiding our personal lives, our individual lives. Psalm 25 is the Psalm of David, and it's a perfect one for us to look at. And I want to tell you this one big takeaway. So if you get this, sermon in this sentence, here it is, okay? You ready? The one big takeaway is this. The question the Bible answers is not so much about how God guides us, but about who God guides. Okay? Stay with me. The Bible answers really this question. The person God is able to guide. That's what Psalm 25 is really about. So many times people look for omens and signs and they pull into their driveway and they see seven doves flying from a tree and that must mean that they, they must take this job because that omen... So many times we're looking for the miraculous, the omens, the crazy, the, the out of the box... When really scriptures talk so much about God guiding a certain kind of person. And when you understand who God guides, you'll see exactly how he guides. Are you with me? I need visual feedback. Do you understand? We're going to learn who God guides. And when you learn who that is, you learn exactly how he guides. Let's start with two important promises from our passage. Because I'm concerned that there are some misunderstandings about things with regards to about how God guides us and God's will for our life, and if that can be ruined. The first promise is this in Psalm 25, that other people cannot ruin God's will for your life. i got to let that one land for some of you, okay? Other people cannot ruin God's will for your life. Some of you have had people in your life who have really hurt you a parent, a spouse, an ex-spouse, maybe a significant other that you dated for a while. 
Maybe you've had classmates or somebody maybe in your youth group or an old business partner. Somebody has really hurt your life. David had that too. If you read Psalm 25 again, you'll notice three or four times he talks about his enemies and his adversaries. These people that were out to get David, to ruin his life. And David over and over says this, God, I trust that your promises are more powerful than my enemies. That your declaration about your will and your promises for my life are bigger and stronger than any enemy I've got in my life. When I think about this point, I think so much about Joseph, who had some brothers that weren't good friends to him sold him into slavery and a lot of bad things happened to joseph and many years later joseph is in charge in egypt and his brothers come back and they're scared to death when they realize who he is and do you remember what joseph said to him he said you meant it for evil but god meant this for good so i'm going to ask you to do something those of you that are stuck on this idea that other people have ruined god's future for your life god's will for your life when you have a moment, some private time, maybe write down the name that you feel angry against, bitter towards, that you can't let go of. Write down the name of the person you blame for messing things up in your life. And when you get that name written down, or names, plural, I want you to look at those names and say, you meant to do to me evil, but God meant it for good. Take the power back from that situation. Say, God will do good through that which you meant to do evil. I refuse to let other people ruin the will of God in my life. Okay, number two, second promise. Your past mistakes cannot ruin God's will for your life. You can let them, but your past sins cannot, do not have the power to ruin God's will for your future. It doesn't work that way. Notice David says over and over in verse 11, listen to this. He says, for your name's sake, O God, pardon my guilt, for it is great. He's not talking about menial mistakes or past problems that he just, uh, you know, slipped up in. He's saying, I've made huge mistakes. I've gone the wrong way, hung out with the wrong people, done the wrong things in a big way, God. And yet over and over, David says... God, please make your will come true in my life. You may agree that God will protect you from other people, but maybe not from yourself. Maybe you think, won't he just let me suffer and say, you brought this on yourself, good luck? It's true. Sin has consequences, absolutely. And there are sometimes painful consequences you have to suffer because of your sin, but those consequences do not disqualify you from God's will being done in your life as you move forward. Think about it this way, Jacob. Remember in Genesis 29 all the way up to about 36 or so, Jacob is a man who has just made a mess of his life. He deceives his father. He takes um, the blessing that didn't belong to him, and he runs off in a mistake, right? He sins big. And out of that mistake comes the lineage of Jesus Christ. Now, would anybody in here say Jesus Christ was plan B for God or a mistake or God's oops, so I guess he had to? No. We wouldn't say that. Jacob suffered some consequences. He had some suffering. But God's will was able to be done because Jacob returned to submission to God. This lineage of Jesus, if you read Matthew chapter 1, is littered with people who made mistake after mistake. 
It doesn't mean that sin will affect you, but it does mean that God's will can still work for you in the future if you walk with Him. Do you get those two promises? Other people and your sins cannot disqualify God's will being done in your life. So who actually does God guide? Who does God actually lead? There's three things that you got to see. First one is this. God guides those who are trained in His ways. Look in verse 4. He says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. David is talking about here this desire for God to teach him his ways. He's saying, I want an inward familiarity. I want it to be instinctual in me, God, that when I walk through life, I know what you would do and what you would not do. I want to understand your heart. I want to understand your character. I want to understand what you desire out of life. And he's saying, God, teach me your ways so that I am familiar with how I should live. Think of it this way. Think about how a coach prepares an athlete to get ready for a game. Now, that coach might have some idea how the enemy is going to play or the the opponent is going to play the game, and they might say, watch for this move or watch for this play. But in general, a coach trains an athlete to be prepared for anything, right? They develop their skills. They increase their, uh, their awareness. And when that athlete steps onto the court or the field, that person is ready to take what comes and to handle what comes in the way that their coach would want them to. You see, David's asking for God to train him and shape him and mold him, not just give him a script to read. That's exactly what he's asking for here. You see, what he's asking for us is to become so saturated in the kind of people he wants us to be, to know his words so well, like Hebrews 5 says, when he says that we are in constant use of his scripture so that we know how to discern between good and evil. Hebrews 5, 14 says that when you are constantly using the Word of God, you will have the capacity, the ability to look and say, I know what's wrong and I know what's right. To have the discernible skill. So you don't have to go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say about what I do tomorrow? No, you actually have the ability to do that. And so here's your action step. You and I need to get so saturated in Scripture that we speak the language of it that we become fluent in it because you will not know God's will if you do not know his word you won't be able to recognize it you won't be able to see it if you don't know God's word and who God is you won't be able to walk in his ways so that's the first thing God leads those who are trained in his ways secondly God guides those who are obedient to his commands It's one thing to know informationally about what God says about life. How to deal with relationships, how to handle your money, how to make wise decisions, how to look at things and discern good and evil. It's another thing to be obedient to those things. Look down in verse 9. Verse 9, Psalm 25 says, He leads the humble in what is right. So there's a characteristic, the humble. What does he mean by humble? The humble are those people that believe that God's way is best. You might think of it this way. The opposite end of humility is pride. And pride is believing you know what's best in every circumstance, in every situation. Where you look at those who might be older than you or wiser than you, 
You might even look to the heavens at God and his ways that you've learned and say, I see what you're saying, but I still know what's best. That's the expression of pride. And here he says, God leads, guides, directs the humble. Those who look to the heavens and say, God, I think your way is better than my way. You see, when you and I proudly go our own way, when we take the reins and grab the wheel and say, we've got this and we're not really considered about what God would want us to do, when we assume we know what's best, we cut ourselves off from his guidance in our life. We just cut it off. You see, this is one of the most important things about divine guidance that you've got to learn. Divine guidance is not really a quest for some secret messages from God. Divine guidance is about really a pursuit of serious holiness. When you and I become obedient to what God has told us to do, when you excel in the revealed will of God, the unrevealed will of God becomes much clearer. When you excel in the way that God has told you to live and the priorities he's told you to have, the principles he's told you to live by, when you take those serious and obey those things and live those things, all of a sudden, the doors that open, the doors that close, the ones you should walk through, all of a sudden become much clearer to you. But when we get so muddied up in our desires and our flesh and our wills and our wants, and we're not really interested in what God wants for us, boy, things get confusing and hazy. And we want God to do some sign for us to make things easy, right? You see, I'm sure that most of us in here are asking this form of a question. What's God's will for me in blank? Fill in the blank. Whatever season of life that you're in, I'm sure that there's some kind of question percolating in your mind. And I would say this. As you ask that question, what's God's will for my life in this? Whatever season you're in. Obedience is crucial to understanding what the answer is obedience let me give you a few examples if you are not yet married and you're asking god who should i marry great question he's the first guy you should ask (laughs) who should i marry god i have this desire to get married and i want to get married who should i marry listen to me do not compromise because you get desperate or afraid to get married God has made it very clear the kind of principles that lead to a good spouse or who a good spouse is. And I know that when you make a commitment to Christ, sometimes the dating pool feels like it goes from this to this, right? All of a sudden, there's about 80% of the people in your life are cut out that you could marry. Trust God. Don't compromise. And then when you start to date someone, don't compromise in your behavior to try to win them or keep them. Follow God with obedient faithfulness. And trust him that he will lead you to the person that you should marry. Maybe you want to advance in your career. You want your business to do better. Don't compromise your integrity. Don't begin to gray the areas of truth and lie. Tell the truth all the time. Be honest. Be upfront. Have priorities and make decisions based upon the commitments that God would want you to make. Don't overcommit yourself and promise yourself, I'll only do this for one year. And then after this year, man, I've done that too many times. How many times do we stop after one year when we make the promise, for one year I'll just overextend myself. For one year I'll just push it too far. For one year I'll ignore or maybe have my family on the back burner. Just for one year, it turns into two, doesn't it? And four. And longer and longer. You want to advance in your career? Don't compromise. Have your integrity. Have your principles and trust that God will lead you. You want to have good connection in your life and build good friendships? Don't compromise. Don't become a people pleaser who just says yes to everything. Don't build relationships based upon gossip. Don't 
hold bitterness and be unwilling to forgive trust god faithfully obey him hold strong in the awkwardness the discomfort of obedience because sometimes it's weird to relate to people in the way that god wants you to but if you do that he'll bring about the right things in your life okay number three so we got to see we got to be people who are trained in god's ways we got to be people who are obedient to god's commands and god leads those who trust in his promises look in verse three david says indeed none who wait for you shall be put to shame nobody who waits for god will be put to shame that is a promise from scripture that if you are willing to wait on the lord you will not be disgraced you will not be put to shame waiting means to be patient because you are certain that god will come through you're confident that god will deliver you are confident that god will bring the right thing and for you to take the wheel now for you to interject yourself and not wait for the lord would be to mess up the good thing that god is bringing to you you see waiting for the lord is not about resignation like just giving up like oh i guess i don't get to be involved in my life anymore i just wait for god waiting on the lord is about anticipation it's about excitement it's about joy it's about the peace that knows that god brings the very best answers in life and i can't wait to see what he's going to do for me i think so often about when i was a kid my dad worked a uh, second shift a lot most of his working career and whenever we had something exciting coming up like a summer trip maybe we're going to go to cedar point or maybe a bigger vacation or we're going to do something fun um we would be home all afternoon while dad would be in work and we would have to wait for him to get home and then we could go do the thing that we were going to do which was we were excited about now that moment when i knew we were going to do something fun or exciting and dad was at work was hard and difficult but i was anticipating it i was excited for it i was hopeful i was ex i couldn't wait for him to get home and how dumb would it be for me to walk out the door and start walking towards where we we're going to go that would be foolish right what i need to do in that moment is with excitement wait for him to show up you see that's what he's asking for us to do when he talks about waiting waiting on the lord means i can't wait to see what he's going to bring to my life now look down in verse 14 this idea of waiting and trusting in god he says the friendship of the lord is for those who fear him friendship this secret counsel you might have in your translation or this confidence that you have this idea that god confides in those who fear him you see this is the kind of person that god can guide when the old testament said the fear of the lord or to learn to fear god what they were talking about was really the wholeness of living a life of faith to revere god respect him to trust him to believe in him to know that he knows what's best that's what it means to fear him and when you fear god you could walk and step with him and he says those who fear god come with or have a friendship and intimacy with god these intimate moments of personal guidance you might be asking now finally anthony how how let me tell you a few examples god does guide us and direct us through a few ways acts 13 2 shows us a story about gathering together of christians who have wisdom to discern the will of god and so my encouragement to you if you're thinking about big decisions in your life don't isolate yourself you need wise faithful christians in your life who can pour into you acts 13 paul literally was waiting for the church to give him more instruction about what god wanted him to do in his life he trusted christians around him so you got to have people with wisdom around you 
Acts chapter 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about circumstances being arranged in his life that led him to Macedonia and didn't let him go to Corinth. That when you pray and you want the will of God to be done in your life and you're walking in obedience and you know his way, you can pray for circumstances to be arranged, doors to be open and doors to be closed. And you can trust that when those doors open or when doors close, you don't have to weep over that. You can actually say, okay, I can walk through those things. God does that. And it might be like what Nehemiah had when he prayed over and over. He heard about what was going on in Jerusalem. And it broke his heart. And in chapter 1, Nehemiah prayed just basically, God, you promised that if your people would turn to you, you would bring them back from exile and you would let them relive in your city. You promised that. That's all Nehemiah prayed. The next day, he's the cupbearer for the king. He's sad in his face because he is just distraught over what's going on. And the king asks him in that moment, what do you want me to do? And it says this in Nehemiah 2.4, And I prayed, then I asked. You see, I think there were some inner promptings there in prayer. A place of peace and confidence that Nehemiah had. Nehemiah was praying and fasting and praying and fasting. And an opportunity come, and he continued his prayer, and he knew it was right. So practically speaking, Christian, what do I think you should do when you have what, what is the will of God in your life? Take advantage of every means of wisdom that you have. Scripture, your reason, wisdom, counsel from other Christians. Pray over that. Look for the circumstances to arise, doors to open, doors to close, and come to a place of peace and make a decision about something. Now watch, here's the deal. Make a decision with confidence that God is guiding you. Don't make a decision and go, oh no, did I mess up? What did I do? See, this obsession over worry and fear right now is really us making a decision and then scared to death what the outcome is going to be. That's an expression of the fact that we trust ourselves and we can't control the outcome. If you are walking faithfully with the Lord, He has promised to guide your life. Trust Him in this. One of my favorite verses, this little quib in Acts chapter 15, where the Christians were gathered together in Jerusalem trying to solve some problems in the early church. And they're praying over it and they're thinking it. And they write this letter to be sent back to the Gentile Christians. And it says in Acts 15, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Do you hear the language there? Like, these are apostles and elders and early Christians saying, You know, we've prayed about it, we've talked, we've used wisdom, and it seems good to the Holy Spirit and good to us. And they made a decision. I think you can trust Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge God, and He will direct your paths. You see, that the big question is not how God guides, but who God guides. But most importantly, you've got to ask why He guides. Why does God guide? Listen to verse 10, and we're all done. Here's why God wants to guide your life. All the paths of the Lord, all the ways of the Lord, are steadfast love and faithfulness. Why does God guide? Because the only thing God knows to do is what's best for us. That's, listen, He doesn't wrestle with good and evil. The only thing God knows to do for you is what's best for you. The only thing. How do you know that to be true? How can you trust that when seasons of trial and difficulty come? How can you know that the only thing God does for you is what's best for you? Well, you look to the cross and you remember exactly what God did. Because what was best for you was what's worst for Him. And He was still willing to do it. 
Jesus was willing to walk to the cross because it was what's best for you in that moment. And you and I need to ask some serious questions when we ask about the will of God. Do I really want him to guide me? God, am I willing to go wherever you lead me? Am I willing to change my course, reverse decisions, let go of some visions I have? Am I willing to trust him or do I just want to use God? The reality is you've got to get to know him before you ask him for his will. You would never ask anybody for their will in your life without knowing them first. You would never ask anybody for guidance and direction without knowing the quality of the person they are. I ask my mechanic about cars because I trust that he knows. I ask other people about other things in their life because I trust that they know. Well, does God know what's best for your life? You've got to get to know him to know that for sure. And the only way you get to know him is to know Jesus. He is the declaration of who God is. And if you come to understand and know who Jesus is, how he lived, what he did, and why you should follow him, you'll become a person that says, God, I don't know, but I want your will. Guide me, and he'll guide your life. If he's guiding you right now to Jesus Christ, today is the day to decide he's yours. Let's decide that now. Come as we stand and sing.